We're going through Ephesians 4, and I don't wish to spend too much time prepping us back into where we're at. We've gone over it over and over, uh, but I also under, understand little reminders are, are helpful. So let's hit this quickly so that we understand why we're looking at what we're looking at. Ephesians has two divisions to it, and they're set up on purpose because this is how we are set up. All of us are set up to operate or to act or to speak or to decide based on certain convictions that we hold. And so what Paul does here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is he establishes in these three chapters doctrine. Doctrine is not a scary word. Okay, let's let's get the fears off of that. Doctrine simply means teaching. It's what's true. It's what's right. It's what God has said. And if God has said it, it stands in authority and it holds the right to be able to not just judge our lives as the authority, but also to tell us what is true about ourselves in the midst of these things. I don't know about you, but where you have all kinds of competing voices and talking heads and worldviews about the idea of who we are, where we've, came, where we've come from, how we're made up, why we should feel a certain way. And what you find out is that God doesn't subscribe to any of that because he has the corner on the market of truth. And so when we're reading something like Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, that we've been seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that's a reality that you and I already experience. We did nothing to earn it. It's something that is freely given as a gift by just being in Christ. Knowing that is incredibly helpful when the things of this world want to bring us down. Because if I can focus on the truth of what God says about me, I all of a sudden find that the opinions of people don't matter a hill of beans because God is telling me the truth. That's a powerful, powerful application. So when we talk about all the privileges that we have, when we talk about the amazing position by grace that we have in Christ, and when we talk about that He has already let us know how He's unfolding His plan for the ages, Boy, this is a lot of good stuff to know. But the problem is, is it's got to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. And what I love, and forgive the analogy here, but chapters 4, 5, and 6 are the prune juice of Ephesians. Maybe that helps. But if you've ever come across a Christian who knows a lot but has the capacity to love a little. You can put your finger on the pulse of what the problem is. They're fat on doctrine, but they're thin on application. They're thin on living. They're just know-it-alls. And that's where doctrine becomes in the flesh and is one thing, ineffectual. The flesh profits nothing. And so... What chapters 4, 5, and 6 do is it's saying, now that you know this and should be meditating regularly on these truths in chapters 1, 2, and 3, here's how you live it in 4, 5, and 6. Here's how it becomes a staple of reality in your life. And so here's what we find. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul talking about himself, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And remember, this is a balancing of the scales. If God has given you plentiful and priceless truths on one side of the scale that weighs it this way, then by applying it, you can begin to balance out those scales and therefore have a balanced life. He says here, with all humility... Notice he has to go to the demeanor first, the attitude, with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, being diligent, being diligent. You know what that means? All that is within you as a Christian should work towards this means. And what this does is this shows the value and importance of the local church. Why? Because Christ is our head, and this is what he died to create. He died to create this brand new entity of which you and I get the privilege to participate in. Recognize that if we've gotten into a situation where the thought of going to church, number one, that's bad phraseology and thinking to begin with, 
But the idea of going to church causes us to sigh and roll our eyes before it ever creates joy in our hearts. We have a time of confession with the Lord that needs to take place. That attitude is wrong and it is messed up. It is a privilege to be part of the body of Christ because when the dominoes fall and they're on their way, the church is the only thing that is going to be around as the buttress, the preservation of a society who has gone wild. That's it. No one else is serving as the light bearer of truth. And I know I've harped on this a little bit, but this is where we have to start having the mindset and attitudes of the prophets. Yes, we're here to tell you that God loves you. Yes, we're here to tell you what Jesus did on the cross. Yes, we're here to tell you that you can't be saved any other way but by believing in him because God only accepts perfect work and all Jesus does is perfect work and you can't do anything that is perfect. So therefore, you need Christ. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But we also need to tack onto that an understanding of there is judgment coming. God has told us it will happen and our world is ripe for it. Time is short. It is. Do I know when it's going to happen? No. But let's be honest. Pay attention, and you can see it. It's starting to unfold. Satan is no longer concerned about being masked anymore. That's a whole separate sermon. I'm tempted to preach it. But Satan's not concerned about that anymore. He wants people to see. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but in Tennessee, Local school system there now has a Satan club. You guys seen it? It's come together under like-mindedness. Cool. Let's all get like-minded about things that are super wrong. We've been living by that philosophy for years. We live in incredible times. So notice, we are to be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let me say this real quick. Some of you are going to think that I misspoke or misconstrued my words, so I'll try to be as clear as possible. We are not here to save this world. We are here to share the gospel with the people of this world who need saving. But we're not here to save this world. Jesus does that all by himself in his time. He recreates everything in his time. Everything becomes a new creation in his time. That's his business. His kingdom, his business, his thing. We are called, share the gospel with the lost so they'll get saved and disciple them up so they get mature. That's what we're supposed to do, period. So I'm not worried about necessarily getting environmentally friendly and letting that overcome the idea of meaning to share Christ with people. No, forget that. Am I supposed to be a conservationist in my society? Absolutely. But these other means are not to overshadow the gospel, and that's what we're seeing in the church right now. All these other things are more important. Educated, well-fed, well-dressed people who are provided for and rent is paid for are still going to hell if they don't know Christ. Let's get that very, very straight. So the goal of the church needs to be evangelism and discipleship. Do not get away from that. Satan wants to do everything he can to take that away from us. So why should we strive for this? Here's the reason why. There's one body. That's us the body of Christ, one spirit, Holy Spirit. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling, we are God's inheritance that he's so excited to be with. One Lord, that's Christ, one faith, one faith that we commonly subscribe to, one baptism, that's spirit baptism. One God and Father of all who's over all and through all and in all. Why? Because it's all his. He created it all. He can't help how people handled it and going south with it, but he is the creator of all of it. It's all answerable to him. But to each one of us was given Uh, Grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, we all have gifts to demonstrate in the body. Therefore, it says, and if this is confusing to you, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. Two sermons ago, we dealt with it. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This is about Christ being triumphant in his ascension. Now, this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he has also descended to the lower parts of the earth? That's not hell, that's not Sheol, that's not the underworld or anything like that. That's the idea of him just coming down and being on earth with us, walking as we did, taking on the likeness of flesh as he did. He who descended himself is also he who ascended far above all the heavens. He has a privileged position because of what he's done so that he might fill all things or so that he might fill out, bring completeness to all things. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. These are the office gifts that he's given to the church during this particular time in history. Now remember, the church is an anomaly. 
There's not been anything like the church in all of history. We are the weirdos of history. And that's okay. Why? Because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because we actually know who the Messiah is. Because we hold fast to the promise that he will come again. That we actually have complete and full forgiveness of sin. We actually can live as guiltless and shameless people. Why? Jesus. Jesus. It's all about him. Keeping Christ first. It's all about him. And so because of that, God has decided in order for the body to be where I need it to be, and if you notice the title of this, God's earthly goal for the body of Christ, this is what God's intended end is for the church. He gives these offices. Now, apostles and prophets, we dealt with this last week. They were foundational, and they served to reveal a lot of truth. But then there came a point where we didn't need them anymore, and they passed off the scene because we had the Word of God. But you do have evangelists, people who share the gospel, the good news, and are very effectual by the leading of the Spirit with it. You have pastors, those who tend to sheep and are involved in the soul care ministry, who also serve as teachers of God's Word. And the Word of God is the only food that the sheep are supposed to feed off of. So let's break this down real quick, because remember, the whole overarching thing that he walked into was be diligent about the unity of the body. Here's what it is. Number one. Verses 1 through 3 give us the necessary attitudes. If we're going to have unity in the body, this attitude has got to happen. Let's stop being so uptight about everything, and let's rest in the Lord. Let's stop worrying about pre-planning everything and being so type A about everything, and instead get alone with God and say, Lord, what do you want? That'd be the most revolutionary thing for a Christian to ever do. Well, we ought to, well, we ought to, well, we ought to, stop it. How about, Lord, what do you want? And if I don't have an answer, I'm going to wait. Somebody brought an amazing opportunity to me two weeks ago. I think we should do this. I see the need for this. We should do this. I won't tell you what it is. We should do this. I said, you know what we should do? Let's pray about it. Because just because you want to do it or just because I want to do it doesn't mean that God wants it done. I do a lot of things that God doesn't want me to do. Amen? Okay, just making sure I'm not in the only boat by myself. But what would be great is instead of me wasting time, energy, worry, whatever it is, money, on things that God doesn't want me to do, how about I just stop for a second, pray about it, step back and rest for the Lord to open the doors. Lord, what do you want in this situation? Do you want this to happen? We got back together in a week and I said, I'm not seeing anything that the Lord's doing. He said, me either. What should we do? I said, let's keep praying. God will either tell us yes or no. God will tell us either move or stay. But let him answer. If he needs more time, great. There's a lot in the Bible about waiting on the Lord. Nothing wrong with that. Well, we can't wait too long. Are you sure? They didn't say that to me. But that's what we often do. Well, we might miss our opportunity. We might take advantage of an opportunity that God's not in. That sounds a lot more concerning to me. Let's not do that. How about this? Verses 4 through 6 give us the reason for practical unity. Remember, we're already unified spiritually speaking. Christ did that, nothing we can do to hurt that. But the idea is, is are we experiencing that unity as a body? Well, because God is unified, because there's an already oneness with him, there should be a oneness that we seek to see played out every time that we are together, every day. Verses 7 through 11, it gives us the provision. We shouldn't worry about having to conjure up to be one, we just need to be concerned with being one. Why can we do that? Because Christ has already done everything necessarily to make us one. So there's nothing less left for us to really do. All of our diligent striving after being one is just the fact that we just need to be who we are. Does that make sense? So many people are concerned about being who they're not. This is a reason why I can't get on the boat with the whole transgenderism thing. I can't. Well, you should accept me for who I am. You didn't accept you for who you are. You changed who you were to be somebody else that I'm supposed to play along with this now. And you're refusing to be you who God made you. That's concerning to me. And there's nothing about truth in it. And that breaks my heart. Because I would like to think that we all have sin, yes. But sin aside, doesn't God do a good job in making us? Why wasn't that enough? Did anybody ever stop and tell that person, you're enough? It's okay. 
Mr. Rogers did. There you go. Where's he at now? We need you, Mr. Rogers. Put your finger here right now, if you wouldn't mind, because I want to hit this. I have a lot to cover. So go over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, because I want to show you this. The office gifts concern mainly about the chief ministry of the pastor and the teacher. And just, just so you know, I do have a lot of slides today. I wasn't for sure what the Lord would want me to bring forward to try to be sensitive to that and put all these in here. But so you know, I set my clock back about 15 minutes up here, so we're fine. We're good. I'll, I'll be on time. You know. What is the chief ministry of the pastor teacher? Watch this. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He's actually pastoring the church of Ephesus when he wrote this to him. And now look what it says here. Verse 15. Be diligent. Does that word sound familiar from what we saw about the unity? Yeah? Being diligent about unity? You know what this word means? Make haste. Work up a sweat. How's that sound? It's got a little bit of a Richard Simmons vibe to it. That's okay. Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. Notice it's an audience of one for the pastor. As a workman, as somebody who is toiling, it's the idea of somebody who's out in the garden every day making sure that the crops are going to come forward easily. A workman who does not need to be ashamed. Why? Because they didn't toil. They didn't work up a sweat in putting together the Word of God. Accurately handling the word of truth. Some of your translations, if you have a different translation, it's going to say rightly dividing the word of truth. So notice what it's saying here. There needs to be a diligence on behalf of the pastor teacher in order to present himself to God. The audience of God is the only one that matters, which means it doesn't really matter whether you liked my sermon or not. It's okay. I can deal with it. I got my big boy pants on. I do. So it's okay. The question is, is was I trusting in God with it? Was it in alignment with everything that God has said? Would God approve? Would God give this? That's what matters. Notice after that, a workman getting dirty with it, getting in the thick of it, who does not need to be ashamed. When I'm done preparing the sermon or the teaching, is there a reason for shame on the other end of it for ill-preparedness? Accurately handling. You know what that means? Imagine a maze. Anybody ever seen those hedge mazes? Anybody ever been through a hedge maze? Raise your hand. No? No? Anybody? Okay, for you that went through it, did you get lost in the hedge maze? Raise your hand. Corn mazes. Did you get lost in the corn maze? You can just eat your way through to the other side. It's okay, right? Imagine the idea that sometimes people look at the Bible, especially how thick it is, brand new believers are like, good grief, do I need to know this? Well, yeah, but you know, how big it is. Imagine it's like a, a, a corn maze or, or, or a maze, a shrub maze, something like that, okay? A, a bushes, whatever. Imagine somebody comes in with a lawnmower and just, bam, straight through to the middle. Wouldn't that be nice? That's what this means. Rightly dividing the Word of God. It means taking all the things that might seem complicated and might seem to lead to dead ends, or that's a paradox, or I don't understand that. It sounds like a contradiction, whatever it is. And the pastor, what they're supposed to do in their study is to fire up the mower and go, goal. And everybody's able to get in alignment with that path that he's carved out and be able to walk more easily to everything that God would want. That's what this is about. So it's important to know that because what we're getting ready to look at, this is the means to how to make that happen. So providing evangelists, pastors, and teachers who are communication ministries with the Word of God is the what that God is doing. Now the question is, how? How does God go about doing that? Back to Ephesians 4. Verse 12, look what it says. For the equipping, the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Notice that the saints, those are holy ones. Those aren't people that had to be dead for a long time before they got approved by a bunch of guys. These are people who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. If you've believed in Jesus, you are a saint, period. That's what the Word of God teaches. Why? Because the blood of Christ is on your behalf. You are now holy in His sight because you are in Christ. If you're not holy in His sight, you're either not in Christ or Christ isn't holy. We've got to make a decision there. 
Christ is holy. If you're in him, you're holy in his sight. But notice that the saints are the ones who do the work of the service. So many churches think, well, the reason why we hired the pastor was to do the ministry. No. The reason why you hired the pastor was in order to exposit the word of God in order to equip you to do the work of the ministry. What do you think about when you hear the word equip? Fill your tools up, your tool belt. Outfit it. Yeah. Every, everybody's seen those, those uh, sometimes on a show, especially in New York for some reason. Some guy will walk and be like, you want to buy a watch? Like opens up his trench coat and there's like 400 watches on the inside there. Every watch for every occasion, all knockoffs. But still, he's outfitted, ready to go. Whatever sale needs to be made, whoosh, there it is. I got all the tools of the trade. That's the idea. Are you equipped to do ministry, to serve? That's the goal. That's God's earthly means to his goal. Now, just real quick, refresh with this because I like this graphic so much. This is a really good way to look at it. Notice it's the idea of apostles, prophets, foundation upon which Jesus is laid, but the evangelists, pastor, teachers, and the teachers are standing as the pillars of which uphold the equipping of the saints. Why? So that work ministry is done, so that the church is effective in taking what they've learned and applying it so they're now doing spiritual work, not just fleshly good ideas and good deeds. God has no time for that type of stuff. Our best works in the flesh are junk at the bottom of the heap because the Spirit is not in them as far as God is concerned. This is why having His Word and asking for the Spirit to apply it is so important. We're going to talk about how that's done. But what else does that happen? When the church is applying the Word of God and doing the work of ministry, everybody gets built up. If you came to church to be built up today, this is God's way that it gets done. It's not, your hair looks so precious today. It may. Way to go, you! But that's not going to last, let's be honest, right? It's not going to last. You find an hour later, you need something else. It's not going to last. This is how we make it last. Now, watch this. This is very interesting. Until. Everybody see this word? It's a timing word. This word in the Greek means it will come about unto a point of which it won't be needed anymore. So if you're thinking about it like in timeline status, right? From here until you hit this, and then you are done type of idea. Until we all, we all. Now notice here, I think that's a translation mess up. Notice that Paul includes himself, personal inclusive pronoun. That's important. But what I really want to stress here is to all y'all. That's what we're talking about. Paul includes himself because it's a body-wide project that needs to be involved in that. But notice, we are to attain something. And notice the first thing, A, the unity of the faith. Now, didn't he say be diligent to go after unity? Yes? So notice that we already have unity, spiritually speaking. It's a done deal. But the thing is, is we are to keep going in this direction. I'm to keep preaching and teaching. You're to keep receiving and applying and doing service based off of what we learn about God and his word and how he works and what his will is and all those things are supposed to be happening until we come to a point, until we are all practically unified in alignment with how we are already spiritually unified. That's the first thing. But here's what I love about the second thing here. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. But there's a trick here. And it's this word. Everybody remember this word? Suhal loves this word. Epignosis! We got it. We're going to talk a little bit about it. We covered it back in chapter 1. But the idea of, and we'll deal with this in a second, a deep knowledge of the Son of God. And notice it comes unto an end, to a mature man. We're going to deal with this word as well. This is the goal. This is what God's trying to do in the church. If we are the body of Christ, Christ is the head of the church, then what he wants nothing more is for his kid to grow up into the full extent of all the stature that they want. How many of you ever thought, Boy, we got kids now. This is amazing. I hope they're stunted in everything they do. Anybody? Boy, I hope. In fact, some of you, if you're short, you're like, good grief, I hope they got such and such as height because I don't want them to have my. That's what my wife is. 
She's like, she's 5'1". Hopefully the boy's got your height. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. But we do that. We want them to grow into a fullness, into a maturity. We want to see this full thing play out. Sometimes when people are faced with the idea of death, you'll often hear, well, I would love to see my kids do this. Why? They want to see their lives come to some sort of form of maturity before that happens. They want to be able to experience and see that unfold. It's the same with God. God wants to see the full extent of maturity play out. But if it's not done his way, we will never mature into what we are supposed to be. So let's deal with some words real quick. First word we dealt with was the idea of what it is to be equipped, equipping. And it's the, it is the word katartismos, to make someone completely adequate and sufficient for something. Stop. Don't raise your hand, but answer the question in your mind. Do you feel completely adequate to do something? Have you ever sit here and thought, truth be told, I don't feel adequate to do anything, ever? Anybody? Inadequacy is one of the great things that robs our joy with that. Notice here that what he's saying is, is that by the church getting equipped with the Word of God, you become adequate. Any t- or let me say it this way. Any time that any situation we've ever dealt with in life, if for some reason we feel like we're on a shortcoming of this, the way to get to where we need to be is to have God's Word resting in our hearts. That's how to be fully equipped. That's how to have all your watches in place to be outfitted for anything that comes your way. Stop it. Notice, in the classical Greek, it was used of refitting a ship or, I love this, Setting a bone. The church got a lot of broken bones. The Word of God is the only thing that will set it. Get get that. If we want it to be set properly and to grow and overcome its deficit so that it's stronger and straighter than what it's ever been, there is nothing that is going to do that except for God's Word being preached and taught and it being embraced and applied. If those things are not in place, we will hobble into eternity and have to answer for it. Understand this. The word is used in relation to mending the holes in one's fishing nets. Anybody ever feel like your fishing net has some holes in it? This is a way to fill in and mend the holes. This is exactly what the ministry of the word should do. Our second word is epignosis. And just real briefly, this is a slide from the first chapter we went through. The content of what is definitely known. What is known, a definite knowledge, a full knowledge, or just knowledge. It's from two words. Gnosis means a comprehension or an intellectual grasp of something. But epi, when you put it on there, a prepositional phrase that you attach on there, it serves as an intensifier to the idea. So it's not just knowledge, it's an intense knowledge. First, Pastor Adrian Rogers says it's a super knowledge of something. Some people have heard of the epipen. Everybody know that? It's not just a pen, it's a super pen, yes? It's meant to set out and do super things. Somebody experiences an attack, they pull that out, twist the cap and go like that. It's to cure it. It's to deal with it decisively. And that's exactly what a super knowledge, a definite knowledge, a deep knowledge that we would come unto this greater experiential knowledge with the Lord, that's what it's to push for. Back in 117, we saw this. This was Paul's prayer, watch that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of the revelation of the knowledge of Him. The super knowledge of that. I don't care what I have to do. If this sticks with you for you to get this, I don't care. Okay? I'll actually get one out and stab myself with it. I don't care. So let's talk about how this works. Here's the how. Here's the mechanics of it. I borrowed this graphic. I was able to use it. I got permission from him from Duluth Bible Church up north. I love it because the guy walks. That would have took me at least 26 hours to get done on PowerPoint, okay? Here's the whole idea of what it is for us to come to know the Lord. There's a physical birth that takes place in a point in time. Congratulations, you're here. But there's a point where you come in contact with the gospel. You hear about the fact that he died for your sins and rose from the grave. You now have the opportunity to respond to that. Will you believe it or will you not believe it? And if you have trusted that alone, no works that you could possibly do, 
and the object of your salvation is in Jesus Christ alone. You are now a redeemed person. You have received him, which means to believe in his name, John 1.12. In doing so, you are now set on a process of which you will walk because you have come post-cross. You have accepted the cross for the work that it has done, and you are now journeying through life. So what's interesting is, is it's a knowledge of God that takes place only through the word, which serves to renew our minds. We have a lot of dirty thinking that the world has put in here. Make no mistake, if Satan is anything, he's a teacher. Make no mistake. This world has been carefully crafted together in order to indoctrinate us in a false way. Everything that is antithetical to God's truth, no matter how subtle it is to make us understand that. How many of you like the Dick Van Dyke show? Raise your hand. You realize the Dick Van Dyke show is, is, is the sitcom's first attempt in order to make the husband look like an idiot in the family. And so I was like, I love that show. It's great. Yeah. And notice what it was subtly doing to us. And what happened? All the sitcoms followed suit after that. Why? Because husbands are stupid. Because husbands don't know what's going on. Because husbands are barely making it. And it's a demeaning of the God-given roles that God has put in place. So what happens? When our minds are renewed, we got to think right before we walk right. We now start walking by faith, all by God's grace through yielded dependence. I love that. Yielded dependence. What has God said? Okay, I'm going to do that. That's a different way to live life. That's a different philosophy. Whatever God has said, that's what I want to do, and that's how I'm going to handle life. Wow. But notice, it's yielded dependence on the Lord through the Holy Spirit, and that will last us until death or rapture. Now, is this a cool graphic? Let me show you the one that I came up with. Because this is actually the mechanics of it. Here's mine. We have the constant influence of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I love that. I love that. Uh, evil mustache. Like the villain from Flash Gordon or whatever. Okay. The world, the flesh, and the devil is constantly coming at us. Constantly. What we find out is that the Bible, Bible doctrine, the truth of the word, has got to become information that we receive mentally before it's anything else. Let's be honest. All of us make decisions and respond based on what we hold as most true. That would be different for everybody. This is why people are getting these surveys in the mail. How do you feel that such and such has handled this international situation? You know? Nosy, nosy people. What are they trying to get at? What are your convictions? What do you truly hold as deeply valuable and true? You want to get out of jury duty? I believe that the Bible is the Word of God inerrant, infallible, and in all it ways, tells us the truth about everything, and I will live my life based on and see my worldview based on the truth that it espouses. So we don't need you this week. <laughs> You're welcome. Okay, so information comes into the brain, and it can rest there. It can just sit there. But if we start believing what we're reading, there's a transference that takes place. The Holy Spirit now gets involved in what's called illumination. In other words, I'm receiving what God tells me, and then he comes along and he clicks on the light bulb, and it starts to be transferred from my brain all of a sudden into my heart, into epignosis. It becomes a deeper knowledge. Why? Because it starts to create a conviction in me. Or let me say it this way. Now that I don't just know what God has said, but I'm actually believing and recognizing that it's true and it's a better way to live. I can no longer live the same way because I'm recognizing that it runs against the grain of everything that God has set forward. And so now I have this deep-seated conviction that sets into place and here's the thing that kills us all. It takes time to happen. You've got to have the Word of God. But the reason why we have the indwelling Holy Spirit is in order to minister these things supernaturally to us. You can't just say, well, yeah, I believe God's Word says that, and then you're done with it. You can. It's not going to do anything in your life. You're not going to find fruit anywhere. God's not going to work spiritually in that. 
You're just somebody who knows some facts at this point. But when you begin to lean in or bank on those facts, trust those facts, now God begins doing something supernatural, and he can only do that by the Holy Spirit, bringing it to light. So many people have tried to read the Word of God apart from the Holy Spirit. Oh, I've read the Word of God. Cool, did you read it with the author telling you what's going on? I don't know about you, but I would love to read the Chronicles of Narnia with C.S. Lewis sitting next to me. Yes? Okay, notice that the Holy Spirit is indwelling you. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. In fact, the, the Bible is one big, huge invitation of saying, know me, know me, know me, know me. It's always an invitation to come into his presence, every time. And he slowly begins to change us into the image of his son, but it takes time. It takes time. There is no substitute. Get rid of the whole McChurch idea. Get rid of this. Well, if I participate in this 8, 10, 12-week Bible study, I'm going to be more mature. You probably won't be. Recognize that. Why? Because God uses years. God uses years. God is not interested in developing in Christians Charlie Brown Christmas trees. As soon as they put an ornament on you, you will buckle. He's not interested in that. Not at all. He's interested in making humongous redwood trees who last the test of time. Have I ever told you guys about how they make drumsticks? Oh, this is educational for everyone. Here we go. Let me come over here real quick. I love this stick. It's one of my favorite sticks. In fact, I left a pair here for just when I play. This is by a company called Vic Firth. And what you find is, is that early on, whenever they would make drumsticks, they would find these trees, cut them down, go through and begin harvesting things out, had them go through all their processes, machines, line them out so they're thin. The last thing you want when you're playing a, a, something is to get a splinter in your hand. That's no fun. But what was interesting about this is that as you would be able to use it, you would find that they had incredible durability. And the reason is, is because those trees had grown for years and years and years and years. And all the fibers had the opportunity to set within themselves as perfectly as they ought to be, as God would grow them up to be. And so you found you could do that and you weren't having a lot of breaking that was going on. The problem is, is that supply and demand propelled things forward. And they had to start coming up with ways of which they were going to start bringing in faster growth. I don't care what you slap miracle Grow on, it's not going to be as good as if you would have let it grow by itself and given it the time necessary. And so you might have had computers that were now coming in and they're balancing the stick. Wow, these are perfectly balanced. Each one of them feels really good. Have them all tapered just the right way. The bead on it is so incredible. Wow, it's really flexible in my hand. Whatever you want to do with that type of stuff. But what you find out is, is that you could also be going crazy in a song, and next thing you know, your tips are flying off, your stick splits in the middle. And those are terrible times, because you better have another one around. How amazing it is to get an old pair of drumsticks, 1910, 1920, somewhere around there, and they may not be balanced the best, but good grief, you could run over them with a truck, and they're just fine afterwards. It's the same idea with Christians. God is going to use time to develop you. Don't get discouraged in that. You ever heard, don't be too quick to grow up? Yes? Can we say that? Don't be too quick to grow up. Once it's gone, you'll miss it. And that's why each hour, each minute is so vital for our kids growing up. Why? Because it's all leading to the greater goal of maturity. Anybody known any immature 30-year-olds? I just want to make sure, okay? Now, I saw some of you ladies do this. Sinners. So let's do a quick trip. Turn over a couple of books from Ephesians to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And if you spend any time in studies I've, I've done, I've, I go to this often, but I want to show you this. This is one of Paul's prayers. And he brings up the importance of what it is to get this deep knowledge, this understanding, this rubber meets the road with the Lord. Notice it's part of his prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled, cup overflowing, 
with the super knowledge of his will. Stop. There's a prayer for the rest of your life. Lord, I pray that you would please fill Grace Bible Church with the super knowledge of your will. You think we could go wrong with that prayer? Never. But notice what Paul's goal was for the believer, not just to know him, but to know him, to get their hands in the dirt with him. With the knowledge of his will in all, notice it's got to be spiritual, wisdom, and understanding. It's got to be spiritual. The Spirit has to do it. Now, that's the prayer, and we can put a hard stop on that if we wanted. But he goes on to tell us why that would matter in your life. Why? So that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Pause. Have we heard that before? Ephesians 4.1. The idea of walking in a worthy manner. Notice that's the first thing. Number two, to please Him in all respects. Brand new believers, they tend not to be so much worried about that unless they have a profound appreciation for what they've been saved out of by Jesus. But as you grow and you walk with the Lord, you recognize the only thing that matters in life is pleasing the Lord. That's it. Nothing else matters. We get too quick to please people, but not Him. That begins to change the more we walk with Him. But also this, bearing fruit. You ever is, it, is everybody in here bearing fruit? Maybe one of the reasons why we're not bearing fruit is because we're not praying for a deeper knowledge of His will and asking God to give us a spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to have it. Why? Because if that's in place, these things happen. It's not I need to get out there and try to bear some fruit. You're going to give yourself a hernia. Stop it. No. The last thing we need is a body of Christ is a spiritual hernia. We don't. But what do we need? We need the Lord to reveal these things to us. The Bible, Spirit, time. That's how it happens, to have a deeper knowledge. Notice what it says. We'll bear fruit in every good work, and oh my good googly moogly, look what happens if all that takes place. Increasing in the the deep knowledge of God. Notice it's bookended. Lord, please, give us a deep knowledge of your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And if that happens, if you will do that for us, Come to him every day with this. If you will do that, we will walk in a worthy manner, be pleasing to you, bear fruit, and we'll get even deeper with you. Some people are like, I just want to go deep. I just want to go deep. Paul just told you how it happens. But it can't happen apart from the Word. It can't happen apart from the Spirit. It cannot happen apart from time. It does not happen. Notice what else it says. We'll be strengthened with all power. Anybody feel weak? There it is. According to his glorious might. Why? Because it's about him, not us. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. You know what that means? You won't give up easily and your temper will be much longer. Anybody stand to have a longer temper? Hello. Good grief. That's an altar call in itself. But notice what else it says. Joyously giving thanks to the Father. That's the response. Oh my gosh, God's doing something in my life. Yes, he is. Praise the Lord. Why? Because I'm seeking to live my life God's way, doing it according to his means word spirit time letting it happen notice that he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of life notice that he keeps the end in mind it's always with the end in mind or looking out ahead at what's to come how about this turn back one to philippians philippians one Look, he says, verse 9, and this I what? Come on, church. And this I pray. You think prayer is important? Last thing we saw was a prayer. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17 about epignosis was a prayer. Notice here, this is a prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more. Pause. How many of you are so spiritually loving that it's gross? Anybody? Anybody? No. You know what that tells me? I need this prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in, notice that they even put it in the NASB, real knowledge. Why? Because for some reason here, they couldn't just let epignosis sit. They had to do something with it. And if you have an NASB, and you'll notice in your marginal notes for the other uses of this, they'll always have some sort of qualifier stuck on it to make it. No, it's an intensified knowledge. It's a deep knowledge and a real knowledge and all 
discernment. Why? So that you may approve the things that are excellent. It will actually give you sound judgment of what is right and what is wrong. In order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. And that is rapture. Why? Having been filled with the, ha 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 just like we saw in Colossians 1. The fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, no other way, to the glory and praise of God. Why? Because it's His fruit working through you. Epignosis is what does that. Prayer is what we need to be asking God for this to happen. Regarding an understanding of His will, Colossians 1. Understanding the fact that our love needs to abound, Philippians 1. Now, back in Ephesians 4.13, we dealt with this. This is the goal. This is God's earthly goal. His heavenly goal will be seen in chapter 5. But his earthly goal here is to be a mature man. What is this word? This word is teleos. It's the idea of pertaining to meeting the highest standard. It's the idea of somebody becoming full grown. Or it's the idea of somebody reaching a pinnacle of moral perfection. Being fully developed. Here's what's interesting. The maturity here referred to is full grown manhood in faith and in knowledge in contrast with immature and inexperienced childhood. Paul was such a man. The idea that such manhood is not reached before death, that the saints are always only children in this life, is contradicted by Paul's own words. Stop. It is contradicted by Paul's own life. Any of you ever looked into the writings of Paul and said, good grief, I wish I lived like that. I wish I thought like that. You know what's amazing? Paul was a guy like you and me. He put his sandals on the same way. He put his robe on the same way as you and I. He got cookie crumbs in his beard too. He's a dude. But he also was submissive to the Savior. And he shows us by living an earthly life that it's possible to be grown unto this extent. Let me ask you the question, church. What stands in your way of being fully fully grown in Christ? Not enough Bible? Not enough spirit? Not enough time? Or could it be the fact that we love surrounding ourselves with other things that are not those three things that actually serve as a safeguard so that we don't have to go deeper with the Lord? Some of us are so scared to death to entrust the Lord with everything that we have because we're afraid of what He might do with it. Recognize this, he who gave his son will also freely give you all things. If he paid for our biggest problem, everything else is minutia to him. The daily needs, the weekly needs, the yearly needs of life are nothing compared to what God can do. We've already entrusted him with our eternal destination. So anything else that we would be worried or conflicted about almost seems absurd to the idea of he's got my destiny locked up. What keeps us from growing unto that end? I will tell you this, whatever it is, it's the enemy. And I don't mean like Satan. I mean that it is completely against where God wants us to be. And we need to become aware of that. In fact, if there's any prayer that you leave here with, the idea of having an epignosis about our lives, a deeper understanding about His will and the love that we need to abound and abound with might be the idea of God, show me what's keeping me from being full grown for you in my life. What is stunting my growth that I'm allowing? Some of it we just crowd ourselves with. Some of it we rationalize such crazy sins as if they should be okay. We put it under the umbrella of grace because I'm free to do it in Christ and we don't recognize that we're staying perpetual infants because of that. That is an abuse of grace. The grace is that we get to grow in a way we couldn't have grown before and all the means to do so has been freely provided. That's the grace. Why don't we grow? The idea of being mature. You don't have to turn here, but I want to show these to you. We'll go quickly. We proclaim Him. That's Jesus. By the way, I like this so much, it's my life verse. We proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man. Notice the teaching has got to happen. Sometimes you got to be told that your stuff stinks. That happens. That's the admonishing. The teaching is how to get unstinky stuff. That's what happens. 
admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, having studied to show yourself approved. Why? So that we may present every man complete, teleos, in Christ. When I stand before Jesus and he asks how my life went, I'm going to have to give an account for y'all. Am I in trouble? You tell me. See, I can only give you what God says. I can't make you embrace what God wants. But that's what this is talking about. There's actually going to become a presentation time where I'm going to be sitting here next to you guys. They were with me. They were with me. He was with me. She was with me. They were with me. They're part of the local body of what we were doing in Portage. This is it. Please don't make me look stupid in front of Jesus. Please. Please. You see, you see this fear in Paul if you read him? If you've ever seen where he says, lest I have run the race in vain. Lest I invested all this time, energy, money, heart, everything in order to build you up and you left behind dry. Don't do that. Please. Don't do that. Notice he says here, for this purpose also I labor, working up a sweat. I feel it right now. Striving according to his power. It's got to be spiritual. That's where it's got to come from. Which mightily works within me. How about this? Here's a concern about people not growing as they ought to. Notice the expectation is to grow. God doesn't want anybody staying infant. Well, I'm just a dumb child of the Lord. Well, stop it. That would be my reply. Stop making excuses for not embracing God's Word if you have it freely given to you. Get involved in God's Word. Concerning Him, this is a whole teaching about Melchizedek. We don't have time to get into that. We have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. You ever show up to church, and whenever I get up, you're just kind of like, da, 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 spiritually speaking? What does the writer of Hebrews say? Stop. There's a problem. I have the responsibility to prepare. You have the responsibility to embrace. If it doesn't work that way, we will not grow. You will not grow. Look what it says here. It's hard to explain since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time, you ought to be teachers. Anybody in here ready to go out and teach others? You ought to be teachers. I come to Grace Bible Church because I learned so much. Cool. Get some prune juice, man. We got to go serve this out. We've got to be giving to other people. Eli, where are you? There you are. CEF. They need some teachers. By this time, you ought to be what? Okay, just make sure I wasn't reading it wrong. Guess what you could do? Guess what God might want to do through you? Guess what you might want to pray about? Lord, I've learned a lot. I've sat in a lot of Bible studies. Some of you sat through all of Pastor Steve's studies. Some of you sat through some of my studies. And good grief for icing on the cake. You went and gotten Chuck's studies too. If you're not prepared to teach somebody, I don't know what in the world you've been doing. But that ought to be happening. Why? Church of God was not called to sit. Church of God was called to go. Make disciples. How does that happen? We grow. We become teachers. We evangelize. We grow them up. They turn around. They go. They evangelize. They become teachers. That's the way it happens. Now, this time you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles, the rudimentary basics of the oracles of God. You've not come to need milk. Or you've come to need milk and not solid food. Everybody see the maturity, immaturity idea here? Look what he says. Everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed. Their life is not embracing and applying that milk to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. But solid food is the mature. Solid food is not deeper doctrine. Well, I can explain to you everything about predestination, election, foreknowledge of God. Ha-ha. It's not it. That's not it. The solid food of the Word of God is for the mature. Why? Who because of practice. You know what that means? Application. They heard it. They embraced it. And now they're living it. That's what solid food is. Solid food is living the Word of God. The milk is receiving the Word of God. But you have to be in a situation where you got to be taught because you're not doing with what you have. You know what happens when milk sets too long? Uh-uh. Exactly. 
I don't know. I need to have a talk with Laverne. I'm convinced we need to start drinking it raw again. That's just me. Whatever. Shh, don't judge me. Who because of application of practice have their senses. Look what it says. Trained. Why? Because Satan has been tra- training us a certain way for so long. All you got to do is sit in public school to know that. That's a satanic education. Oh, you're being too serious. That sounds like a hyper-religious thing. Cool. Tell me how that ends up for you in the end. We're not going to start with the fact that God created everything. That's a problem. That's satanic. Why? Word of God says He did. There's no debate there. There's just denial. So let's make sure that we have that on straight. And they have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Maybe for some reason if we can't see that issue clearly, and be able to discern between those things is because we've neglected applying the Word of God. And therefore, that's why we're milky Christians. Maybe that's where we're at. This guy was upset about it. You should be teachers by now. What in the world happened? How about this? We love this passage. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. What do we do? That's what I want to do. First time I read that. Right? Where's my lighter? Done with it. Consider it all joy, my brethren when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We scream out and complain because we just don't want to be tested. We don't sit here and say, God, what are you doing through this hard time? It produces endurance in us. Let endurance have its perfect result. Teleos. God's bringing it to an end for a better thing. He's bringing you to the goal. Let endurance have its perfect result. Why? So that you may be, he uses it twice, perfect and complete. So that you might be matured to the intended goal that God wanted for you and complete. Notice what it says, lacking in nothing. I don't know about you, do you feel like you're lacking? It's okay to admit it, we're human beings, but good grief, the Word of God is going to fill those gaps. How amazing would it be if the church of God could raise their heads high with confidence and live in such a way? Let's wrap this up. How do I get equipped? I brought you seven applications because it's God's number. But I have zero to start with. Number zero is show up. See, I can't put that up here because the people that need to hear that aren't here. But the real idea is stop thinking about going to church and be worried about being the church because that's who you are. Actually show up. I love the fact that we have a live stream. If the live stream has become a convenient, comfortable substitute for actually being amongst the body of Christ, and throw your computer out the window. Stop it. We are to be in community with one another, receiving the Word of God, fellowshipping and building up one another together. Some people have ailments. I understand that. You got that? That's the whole reason why we have that is for people that are in shut-in or lesser situations where they can't be here. But if you have the means, show up. Be here. Be here. Number one, take notes and ask questions. I'll say this. I don't know. I guess my filter's gone out the window today. I'm not sure. I'm tired of looking out. If this is you, I don't have anybody in mind. I'll go ahead and tell you that. But if this is you, I'm sorry. I'm tired of looking out sometimes when we're going through something in the Word of God, and especially a lot of you men. You sit here like this. Like somebody just took a pole and just rammed it right up your back and you're just as stiff as can be. And I'm sitting here trying to offer Bibles to you before we even start and ask you to take it and take it home. If you got questions, my email address is available. Ask them. But good grief, it's almost like I couldn't teach you a hill of beans of anything. You don't know it all. I love you. I'm so thankful for mature men in the church, but your life experience doesn't matter jack squat if Jesus Christ is in the middle of it. We need godly men, not old men. Recognize that. There's a difference. And if we get some old godly men, then praise the Lord, we got both. But if God isn't above age, and if for age is some reason to pull rank or think that we're beyond learning something like that, start digging a hole and bury it, man. Stop that. can't be like that. We can't be unteachable people. He just doesn't understand it's my way or the highway. Well, cool, if it's not God's way, it doesn't matter, does it? We're not here to get my way. We're not here to get your way. We're here to be about God's way, period. Take notes. Ask questions. Ask a good question. Number two, supplementary materials. 
Mary Cooper's eyeballs would fall out of her head if you said, can you point me to the library? I really got to know more about what he just talked about. You guys realize that we have one of the greatest libraries I've ever seen in a church? And it's just sitting there waiting for people to learn and grow and read about any subject you could ever. We try to keep it all fresh, too. Any subject you could ever ask for, good grief, we can cover it. Get more materials. Spend more time doing that. Number three, saturation and or surrender. What does saturation mean? It means that the words just don't stay on the page, but instead I'm worried about getting the Word of God right in front of me, constantly marinating over it, using my time that way. If it brings conviction, wow, you're not doing this and you really should because that's what God wants for your life, then cool. Put your hands behind your back and let Jesus Christ arrest you so He can finally take you where you need to go instead of running from Him. But meditating upon the Word of God intently will bring us to a point where we recognize that a lot of things that we were taking up arms and had our rights about with God all of a sudden need to be laid down into the dirt so that we can humbly bring ourselves before Him so He can take us to the green pasture He's always desired for us. Number four, ask this question. How does what I've learned change my life? I walked into these doors doing a lot of jacked up stuff and thinking a lot of jacked up things. Am I less jacked up leaving? Don't get wrong, we're all jacked up. I get it. Sometimes it's like saying the word jacked up. It's actually two words, whatever. Why does it matter? How's it going to be different? How many of you actually bring a notebook? How many of you actually take advantage of the little things that we give out? How's it going to be different for you? Well, it's not. That's not a me problem. Recognize that. I love this. Be patient. I understand the feeling of contradiction in this. That's why I put all the exclamation points. Be patient. God's work is perfect. Waiting on Him to do that work gets us antsy. Why? Because i got to do, 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 do. Tell you don't. You need to rest. He's already done. You rest in what He does. And when He wants you to do, He'll let you know. And because you've been receiving the Word of God, you will be fully equipped to do. Pew, 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 pew. You want to watch? Always to be ready to go. Number six, keep grace in focus. God never does anything apart from His grace. And so if there's anything that He's ever asking us to do, let our minds never think, well, God hates me, and so He's doing this to me. That's what Joseph's brothers were like. They, they, were, they were just waiting. In fact, after Jacob died, we need to go tell our brother a lie so that he won't come and whack us. They were scared to death of what he was going to do. What did Joseph do? Grace, grace, grace. Our Heavenly Father is not out to get you. He's not out to squash your life. He's not out to put you out like a, like a cigarette butt. He's not looking to do that. He loves you, and all of His intents towards you are gracious in nature. Always gracious. The last one, always opt for quality over quantity. You might try to get involved in every study. You might try to attend every meeting. You try to might be at every event. Hey, they're doing this today. we got to be there at the church. No. You will burn yourself out. Find one good thing and stick with it. Multitasking is a lie. It just is. So you can't embrace 5, 10, 20 studies at one time. But take what you do get, embrace it, and mull over it a lot. Make it a quality endeavor, not a quantity endeavor. Quantity is long, quality goes up. Good quote, do not be deceived. There's no magic pill for instant maturation. There are no shortcuts. Without proper orientation to God's Word, which is quality study, quality study, without testings, without experience in knowing the Lord under all sorts of circumstances, there is no way of reaching spiritual maturity. It won't happen. So how does God do it? Well, hopefully from today, by reflecting upon God's Word and what He's looking to do in our lives as a church to strive towards practical unity, we can recognize that God wants to take us deeper. And in that way, we understand that by focusing on the Word, having the indwelling Spirit that will bring that to a greater, deeper understanding over time, because He illuminates the Word to our understanding, 
we will actually find ourselves to be changed people. Not because we purpose to change, but because we purpose to trust God. My purpose to change is me trying to control the ends. We are control freaks in this society. And we're afraid if we don't control it, it's not going to get done right. Recognize God's work, word is perfect. God's work is perfect. And that's what He desires to do in the body of Christ. Please, take one of these up. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that You would grow us into a deeper super knowledge of Your will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That our love would abound more and more due to the intense knowledge that You impart to us through the Word of God. That we would walk in a manner that is worthy of You. That we would be fully pleasing to You that we would bear fruit in every situation and that we would continue in even deeper depths of knowing who You are in Your person. Father, we thank You for the Word of God. We thank You for these offices in the church. We thank You for the divine pathway that You have set forward of hearing the Word, embracing the Word, and applying the Word that we would begin working such incredible ministry by the Spirit Lord, keep us from the flesh. Keep us from our rationalizations. And Lord, if we are stayed and stuck and stagnant, I pray, Father, that You would jar us. Help our hearts to recognize that we are so easily satisfied by lesser things. Father, give us spiritual eyes to have a greater lofty pursuit of Jesus Christ wherever He may lead. The world is winding down and we need to make best use of the time. Father, help us to do this. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.